We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden. Indiana Pacers lose 116-109 to to the Brooklyn Nets in their conclusion of the two-game series. The man that was in the building got to meet some really cool people, got to see this Pacers team in action. Mike Focci, what's up, brother? Ooh, yeah, I was in the building in Brooklyn last night. It was uh, it was a really good game. I watched the Pacers crawl back from trailing, I want to say it was by, by 24 points, to end mm-hmm. up tying it up. But, when, you know, when you mentioned uh, you know some cool people – Shout out to Chris Denary. Chris was a class act. Got to really chat it up with him in person for the first time. That was awesome. And then Alex and I, we, we were talking offline of all seats in the whole entire building. Chad Buchanan himself happened to be sitting right in front of me and was nothing but a class act. And guys, I'll tell you this. When Duarte hit that near buzzer beater right before halftime, Chad and I were fired up. Chad turns around and gives me a fist, a fist pump. I loved seeing that. So, uh, hey, guys, you know, it just shows the front office, they're fired up about this youth movement. No, absolutely. And I think that's a great place to start there. Chris Duarte, Fachi. he is the story of this game last night. He had only had double-digit scoring one time before this. That was against Chicago when he scored 12 points off the bench. Drops 30 points on incredible shooting efficiency, 10 of 15 from the field, 5 of 10 from the three-point line, 5 of 6 from the free throw line. He was unstoppable in that third quarter. That three-point shot you talk about, that gave him his 28th point, which would have been the new career high. But then he gets another two points in the fourth quarter, giving him a career high of 30 points. Really exciting to see Chris Duarte kind of break out of the slump and showcase that, hey, I still got something left in me. I've just got off to a slow start this season. No doubt Duarte needed this type of performance. He didn't need a 30-piece just to be like, all right, cool. 
But when you saw a career high after the struggles this month, it was super encouraging. He talks about 10 of 15 shooting. Like he was extremely efficient from the floor and at times was putting us on his back. So it was really cool to see. It was even cooler to see live. Now I realized it. Uh, I've seen Chris Duarte's career high and Miles Turner's career high, you know, in person, <laughs> uh, both on the road. I don't know what are the odds of that. Uh, maybe I'm good luck in the building, but at the same point, I think the Pacers lost both those games. Uh, so I guess I'm not that good luck. But at the same point, <laughs> it was really awesome seeing Duarte truly in his bag last night. No, I agree with that. I mean, it was just it was just fun because it kind of brought me back to when he went off against the Hornets, when he had some big moments there against Golden State last season. When he's able to showcase what he can do and he gets room and he gets confidence, he's a totally different player. It was really important for him to get off to a good start because Aaron Neesmith has missed the last two games with a foot injury. So no, knowing Benedict Matherin's coming off the bench right now, Duarte has to fill that role. And, you know, we can't keep relying on Buddy Hill to be lights out or Tyrese to be lights out. We told you on Sunday, this team ain't going to shoot 50% every every night from three. It's going to, there's going to come a point when they don't shoot the ball well. And I think last night was a good indication of how their offense was not great. Um, I mean, I think in the third quarter, most of the points came from Matherin and Chris Duarte. So yep. it was like they were carrying this team and it was fun to see. I was enjoying the back and forth between Chris Duarte and Royce O'Neal. Uh, Royce O'Neal is lucky that Chris Duarte didn't punch him in the face because I felt like that was coming fun. Yeah, I, things were getting a little chippy at times, and, and that's always, uh, you know, as a fan in the stands, it's always makes the game a little bit more interesting. Obviously, you know, you don't need a brawl to take place or anything like that. But, you know, the Pacers, it showed that that's kind of symbolized that they weren't going to back down at times, and they really did claw themselves out from a huge first half deficit where they were down 24 points. I got my wife looking at me like, well, at least we got good seats. And I'm thinking like, well, <laughs> it'd be cool if the boys came back a little bit. And they did. And when they did tie it up towards the end and you look on paper, when you're seeing you got Kevin Durant, you got Kyrie Irving over there, like, you know, it's going to be hard to catch a dub on the road, but Pacers, you know, they really, they showed, hey, they're going to fight, and that's all you can ask for in a young team, especially a guy like Matherin who started off really quiet. At one point, he had three and ones in the same quarter. So that was really encouraging to see. And just overall, I thought the bigs struggled big time last night, and that made a huge difference. Yeah, I thought Isaiah Jackson played well once again. Uh, I feel like he had a really good little mini series here against the Nets, and I think you know him getting injured did kind of hurt the Pacers down the stretch because he probably would have played over Miles. And, uh, you know, Miles, we talked about his podcast appearance on the Woj Pod. Well, he did what typical Miles Turner does, and that's come out and play terrible after he talks about himself. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, we get it, bro. You're, you're ready to be traded. You're ready to be in the bigger markets. So you can get noticed more. But you're in Brooklyn. You've got all eyes on you, and you come out and lay a negative 21 in terms of the plus minus. You only have a seven points and five rebounds. And Rick Carlisle has to bench you. And I don't know, Fadji, if you could see the camera or not, but Bally Sports was zoomed in on Miles, and that guy was fuming hot that he was benched. I've never seen Miles more mad about being benched um, in his entire career. There's been points where I've seen Miles get kind of sulky and, and yeah, pouty when he gets like that, when he gets benched. No, the dude was about to rip his jersey in half. He was that mad. I don't know if he was mad at Carlisle for benching him, mad at himself for not playing well or a combination of everything going on. But I just felt like 
Miles Turner looked two steps slow in that game and, and just did not play well. And the start of that third quarter, airballing a free throw. Exactly. So when I saw Turner airball that free throw, he heard it from the fans, and it was just like – it just looked like a guy that, I, I don't know, just like mentally just didn't seem like 110% focused. So look at this. Miles Turner came into the game last night 13 of 13 from the free throw line. He went three of six last night. That's a little – it feels like a guy that wasn't 100% dialed in. Two of eight overall from the field. Alex, one thing that he left out, four turnovers last mm. night. It just overall, it was an ugly game for Turner. Only ended up playing 20 minutes because it, it just – it wasn't working out. James Johnson ended up getting a, a lot of his minutes. And it just felt like for Miles, you know, th- there was a there was a sour taste coming off of that podcast appearance for Woj. And it would have been one thing if he backed up his play. But instead, it kind of made you feel like, whoa, why don't we just focus on playing ball a little bit and a, and a little bit less of kind of getting your name out there. And sure, we can overreact and say it's just one game, but it's the same type of inconsistency that's followed him for his eight years in the NBA that, you know, against first game of the season, you know, rough, rough performance, whatever, one of seven from the field. Next game against the Wizards, unbelievable, 27 points. He's on mm-hmm. fire. And then last night, at times, needed to get benched. We've got to be able to find a bit more consistency from Turner. And uh, last night, it just wasn't it. It was fitting that Miles had this type of game on Halloween because it is a true definition of his career. Sometimes he's a trick. Sometimes he's a treat. I like it. That's true. And that's just what it is with him. I'm not trying to be negative about him. I wrote an article about him today. I think he's a good shot blocker. I think he's going to help a team in the future with whatever role he plays. But... He can never be the focal point of any offense. No. That's never going to be his M.O. He's thinking he's an all-star level player. I don't necessarily see that. Some people I might think either. that he could be, but he is not consistent enough to be an all-star level player. So, you know, we don't like to to criticize guys for speaking how they feel. I, I told you on the podcast yesterday I had no problem with how he said it. He was not coming across as bitter or anything like that. It was authentic, but – you got to come out there and prove your worth after you say those kind of things. Uh, I will just say this. Look at the same guy that's involved in those trade rumors, Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald's been involved in trade rumors his entire career, okay? Just like Miles. Buddy Heald ain't saying a dang thing on any podcast, any interview about getting traded, about him being undervalued, you know, that kind of thing. So I would say take some advice from Buddy Heald and let your game speak for you and quit talking on podcasts 24-7 to try to get your name out there because your play, if it's good enough, it'll get out there for you. Alex, I think that is an underrated great point right there because Buddy's in the same exact rumors that Miles is in. These two are like attached at the hip in terms of where they could be traded. Buddy Heels balling. He's balling right now. You can make an argument to say that he, he's kind of having a borderline career year. So mm-hmm. right right now, I mean, you talk about when you factor in, hey, look, he'd been in some losing Kings situations where they got nothing to play for. But by a number standpoint, you know, his field goal percentage, that's a career high. His three-point percentage, a hair under a career high. Actually, when you attempt for – when you factor in, hey, it's nine and a half threes per game, that is a career high. Overall rebounding, career high. Assists, career high. This guy's balling out right now, and he's not tweeting out or anything cryptic, doing any of those interviews that you talked about. So – I think that that's a point right there that is fantastic over there. 
I think we got to just kind of go out there and play basketball rather than talking about which other teams you could help in the NBA. How about just saying, I'll, in the meantime, I want to help this team that I'm on right now. Yeah, I mean, you brought that up, and I and I felt like, you know, to me, I didn't care that he went on the pod, if that makes sense. I, I didn't care about what he said either. I thought it was all tactical. I said he's a smart guy. I agree with that. But I also know Miles doesn't back it up. So this is where he's got to shake off this game against the Nets. He he talked to Michael Scotto and kind of re you know backtracked what he said about everything in that podcast. And there's an article that Mark Michael Scotto put out where he was talking about like he's dedicated to Indiana, all this blah 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 stuff. So you know I, I would just say let's see what he does Friday against the Heat. That's a team that I feel like he's always struggled with. Yeah. So let's see how he bounces back after getting benched and. and kind of dealing with the ramifications of what he had to say. So that's all I have to say on him. But any other thoughts on this game before we move on, Fudge? Mm, I would just say overall, look, hey, it, there's a couple things. Look, Aaron Smith, we hope that he's recovering well. You know, obviously he's missed now a couple games, but the Pacers do have a couple days off. So we'd love to see if he is able to return for the Heat game. Uh, definitely feels like Terry Taylor is now out of the rotation. I feel like he mm-hmm. played about one minute the previous game, did not play. Uh, in this game over here. And just uh, overall, James Johnson's seen an increase in minutes lately, which uh, I think is kind of feels like he could be a part of this rotation moving forward. Not sure if it'll stick, but maybe it was just that that two-game trip against the Nets over there. But other than that, I would just say, hey, I really hope Chris Duarte's back. Um, and, you know, Buddy Heel's been on fire lately. Halliburton finally had that, that down game of the year, but mm. you know he's going to bounce back because for Halliburton last night, Alex, this is something It's kind of strange. I saw it in person. I was not expecting it. More turnovers than assists. Mm. Seven turnovers to just five assists last night. Struggled from the field, but I'm not worried about him moving forward. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
All right, everybody. I apologize if my voice sounds terrible. I'm dealing with some stupid congestion right now. I'm running a, a mild fever. So pushing through right now, as Pachi said before we started, this is my flu game. Uh, not the first time I've been on the podcast where I've not been feeling great, but we got to get this one out here. So we're going to go to the mailbag now. Really excited to do our monthly mailbags. Uh, this one comes from Randall Wood, Fachi. He said, do you think that the rotation should be shortened up to 10 players so that whoever plays can have extended minutes and the team can get more of a consistent flow? No doubt. They have to. It just feels like right now, I imagine, I mean, think about this. Like, Chris Duarte last night got 38 minutes. That ain't happening with Aaron Neesmith back. Someone's mm-hmm. got to go over here. Like, James Johnson, this man can't get 18 minutes. O'Shea randomly getting four minutes. Gogo getting eight. It just feels like this needs to be condensed down. So I, I do think the Pacers have to make that move compared to playing guys for just a couple of minutes where they can't get into any type of rhythm like O'Shea. Yeah, I will say we're eight games in to the season. I think Carlisle has an idea of who his key rotation uh, rotational pieces are, but at the same time, he's still trying to experiment with lineups. And he will do that based on who they're playing. So playing a little bit more of a quicker team, a team that doesn't really have a true center. I mean, I guess you can say Nick Claxton is kind of a true center, but he's kind mm-hmm. of a bouncy Isaiah Jackson type. So that made more sense to put Isaiah Jackson out there. Or when he got hurt, putting a James Johnson out there, someone that knows this Nets team pretty well because he played with them last year. So yep. I, I have no problem with them kind of tinkering with the rotations, but I do understand where fans are frustrated because, for example, a guy like Benedict Mathern had a really good second half only finishes with 22 minutes last night. You know, that's one where you want to see him maybe get a little bit more time, especially down the stretch in crunch time. Um, I think he did end up coming back in at that point, but you would like to probably just see him get more minutes overall. But with that being said, I mean, the rotation's been really hard because we've had injuries and we've had guys resting. Like T.J. McConnell last year is averaging about 24 minutes a game. He's down to 14 minutes now, Fauci. He's losing minutes. Andrew Nimhart's trying to get in there and prove what he can do. He didn't really play great on the road trip, in my opinion. No. Had some had some spurts there uh, in, the, in the beginning of the road trip, and then I think he kind of tailed off towards the end. He only had seven minutes last night. So, overall, I, I will say it will be nice to get to a 10-man rotation, but I don't think we see that until we're about 25% uh, through the season, assuming everybody's healthy. Yeah, that, that that's the thing is just like it's just so hard for like Nemhard to really do much in seven minutes right over there or just some some of the minutes that guys are getting. Like O'Shea basically got, you know, one shot at the game. It's really tough. So I do think guys like O'Shea, Goga probably fall out. Terry Taylor probably falls out. See, you know, what, what happens to Neesmith go back into the starting lineup. Does Duarte go back into, you know, back to the bench? There's definitely some experimenting going on, but I don't think anything is going to be finalized yet because this this team needs to figure out their ways. I mean, coming into last night, they were three and four. All of a sudden, it was like, whoa, that's uh, kind of a somewhat competitive team right now. You know, which which direction are we going? Miles has been in and out of the lineup. Uh, so there's been uh, some inconsistencies, but Carlisle will figure it out. But I do think eventually this rotation will indeed get trimmed down. Yeah, I agree with you, Pachi. So next question, we got Aaron M. Aaron said, if the Pacers are more in the 7 to 10 range in the 2023 draft, do you think they will offer both uh, the Cavs and Celtics picks to move into the top five? Or does it make sense to stay put and take more swings? That's a good question. Um, we we kind of talked about this last year. Yeah. Uh, I think if you're going to move up into the draft, you're going to have to give up future first. You're not going to be able to give up these 
you know, late first round picks and move up three or four spots to get into the top five. So I, I think that they will try to see what they can do unless they really like somebody and think that they would fall. But at the same time, I don't anticipate them being in the seven to 10 range, Fachi. By the end of the season, I think they see the bigger goal. Right now, it's all about development. About halfway through the season, we'll kind of see where they're at. And, you know, they're not going to tank, but I think you'll start seeing more tinkering with lineups and, you know, trying to give younger guys more experience and, and that kind of thing. So for me personally, I will say they will try to move up, but they're not going to use those picks that you're talking about. I think they would potentially say, okay, if they do make the, the Lakers trade, well, we'll give you a 2027 Lakers pick, you know, unprotected plus our pick to move up to to four or something like that. And that to me would be where they can kind of get a little bit more creative and moving up if they fall back. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I just feel like right now, like, you know, say the Pacers were at seven. If you're like, hey, I'll give you seven, you know, 25 and 27 and move up. And other teams can be like, what? Like, what am I going to do with, with those later picks? They would definitely want future picks, just like you mentioned. So I do think that's the route. But in my opinion, hey, if there's an offer on the table where you could perhaps, you know, swing some of those later picks, then go for it. But right now, super early in the year, uh, the Cavs are second in the East and the Celtics are third. So those <laughs> picks will not be that appealing. They're probably going right. to both be borderline roughly around the 25th overall pick. So that's not going to move the needle over here. But uh, a pick like the Lakers pick or the Pacers pick next year, that could de- like the following year, that could be appealing for a trade. Yeah, that's what that's what I think. And depending on who they really like, like that's what you have to look at here. So they want optionality. They want as many picks as possible to try to move up in the draft if they happen to fall. But I, I don't think they want to be in that situation where they're 7 to 10, Fachi. No. Um right kind of stuck there in the middle of the lottery, even though this is a, a decent draft. So let's move on here. David Matillo said, do you think the plan is still to try and get DeAndre Ayton this summer? Also, when is Ben going to start? Uh, I don't. I don't think that they're on this, like, long quest for DeAndre Ayton where it's just like we're just waiting for the right time. I know the Pacers can't make a move from for, you know, a year from when they, when they uh, extended that offer. Um, anything could happen, though, but at the same point, the Suns also have a new owner, I think, uh, or they will have a new owner. Robert Sarver, I feel like, kind of cheaped out on that fifth year for Aiton um, and really just kind of wanted to save some money but also keep him. But if the Suns end up having a successful year, I don't think they're going to be in a rush to trade him right now. They're 5-1. and one. I know there was some unhappiness over there, but I do think that uh, they can right that ship, and Aiton should be a big part of their future. So – uh, I don't think there's a quest over there. And then as it relates to Matherin, uh, I don't necessarily know exactly when he's going to start because he's been thriving in the bench role. But I, I've always said after that seven-game road trip, which ends December 7th, the Pacers come back home, maybe that's a good time to to really move him into the starting lineup. But we got to see what happens from now until then, as that's five weeks from now. Yeah, I would say that the plan is just kind of see and wait and, and figure out what happens, right? If the Suns get bounced early and DeAndre Ayton's unhappy and that kind of thing, then maybe they monitor it and say, okay, let's find a deal here, that kind of thing, right? Um, I don't know what they'd give up because <laughs> if Miles isn't there, then, you know, are you trading Jackson? Do they want Jackson? Do they want Duarte? I mean, you're, you're maybe talking picks or something like that for what you would trade to get him. So I don't really know how they would go about acquiring him, but I definitely think it's something just to maybe monitor on the side and just see if the unhappiness is there with Ayton. But – 
Um, in terms of Mather, and I agree with you, Flatchy, I, I don't really know if I think he'll start after they come back from that road trip. It, it does make some sense, but I, I've been saying this from, from pretty much the beginning of the season when we realized he wasn't going to start. I don't think he starts until Buddy Hill is traded. And nothing against Buddy. Buddy's been playing great for us. Um, I just think that they like having Matherin be that scorer off the bench. But once Buddy's gone, you're going to need someone to kind of put some points up in that first unit. And who better to do that than Benedict Matherin and allow him to get going a little bit earlier and hopefully expand his playing time from around the 20 to 25 range to the 25 to 30 range. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I I do think that that would be the full-on, like, clarity of, hey, this is the next chapter. Now you're in the starting lineup for good rather than potentially put him in the starting lineup and then kind of take him out and then we're moving all around and treat him kind of like how Chris Duarte was last mm-hmm. year. But there's just a lot of inconsistency. I think the Pacers learned from that and don't want to do that again this year. So next question, we got Samuel Culbertson said, how long do you think Rick Carlisle coaches for the Pacers and how would you grade his coaching so far? Well, I will say so far, I think he's done a pretty good job this year. Um, last year, I think he was a little bit um, – um, trying to think of the right word. I, I don't think he was great last year. No, he wasn't. Um, but I think at the same time, he understood, like, what was going on. So he's 63 years old. He just turned 63. His contract's up in, what, two more years, Fachi? Mm-hmm. So after he'll be 65. Year. I can see him coaching for another four years after that, maybe retire around 70, but – he looks to be in good health. He seems to really enjoy it. I think he likes this young team. I don't think he wants to see this young team like become good and then just leave. So yeah, exactly. I, I think that's why I think you give him the next three years on his contract plus an additional four. That's seven years with this group. Um, if he feels like it's time to step down before that and go into the front office, if that's something he's interested in and the Pacers are interested in with him, then I think you really strongly consider that because he's got a really good eye for talent. So I will say so far, I give him a B plus for his entire tenure. I think he was a part of the brass that was able to convince Herb Simon to go in a different direction. And this to me is so much more fun to watch and talk about than talking about, ooh, can Savonis get a triple double tonight? And can we maybe win 39 yeah. games and get to the play in? So, you know, as much as we both love Savonis, this is the direction we needed to go. And I think Rick Carlisle had a big part in, in helping push. Herb Simon over the edge and letting us do that. No doubt. Look, I I think overall, I think Carlisle most definitely 100% finishes this contract. The the organization has a great deal of respect for Rick to the point where they're not going to ask him to start rebuilding and then, and then fire him. If he doesn't want to be here after the contract and maybe he just wants to hang it up, then that's one thing, but I don't think he, he will. So I could see a second contract based on, how this rebuild goes. And so far I would say it's not going to be a full on rebuild. They have a lot of pieces there overall, Mm -hmm. just like you mentioned um, last year was rough. It was, but I think it was because of the amount of changes that was going on. The team tried to win and then they knew he couldn't. So I think his best contributions have been off the court. Like you mentioned, convincing the front office to make a move, convincing those trades, like bringing in Tyrese Halliburton, was mm. one I think could go down as one of the biggest moves in this franchise history. Oh yeah, forward. You might have landed the best point guard they ever had. <laughs> so I, I think that that was huge. Also, look, you know this man properly tanked last year. They lost the last ten games of the season to be able to let, put themselves in position to land Benedict Matherin. And look at the draft. Look at the drafts under Carlisle, Isaiah Jackson, Chris Duarte, Benedict Matherin, Andrew Nemhart. Like 
You can look Brown. Brown in there if you want. You know, you could. Um, so I feel like overall, those are really promising players compared to before where it's like, well, we don't have a first round pick, but we got Cassius Stanley in the second round. It's like, <laughs> that's not what we wanted. So I think right now we're going in a good direction. So players are playing hard. They really are. Steve Nash even came out with a comment before we put the final nail in the coffin and, you know, unfortunately got him fired. But he said that no lead is safe with this Pacers team. So these guys right now, they're playing at an elite offensive level, but we know they have limitations. They're young. they got a long way to go defensively. But I trust the process under Rick. No, and that's that's a great point, Fachi. Let me ask you this. I'm going to throw this question out at you. It's a little hypothetical. Let's say he doesn't return after his contract is up. And I believe in three years. So mm-hmm. we're talking 2025 or something like that. Do you think the next head coach of the Pacers is on the current staff, or do you think they go outside and hire somebody else? I mean, I, I, I think Lloyd Pierce could be gone by then. Like, I don't know if Lloyd's in it for the long run. Uh, Ronald Nared, do you, did you think he would be? That, that's my pick. That, I think yeah, he's the next head coach of the Pacers once Carlisle steps down, if Carlisle were to step down by the end of this contract. So I, I definitely think by the end of his contract, uh, Ronald could be like uh, one of those coaches that's being considered and in interviewing elsewhere if everything goes right. But I, I think that could be like a dark horse pick, something like that. The Pacers like familiarity, like when they turned it over to Nate McMillan um, right. after Frank Vogel. So they could they could definitely do something of that sort. But uh, I think that's something we keep our eyes on because I've liked everything I've heard about him so far, to be honest. And yeah. I know – you know, we still have a while to go, but I think he's in it for the long haul, hopefully. Well, and I, th- and I think Carlisle's praised Norad a lot. Um, coach a summer league team this year. Yep. Um, they look pretty good. I like what I saw. So I think he can get the players to respond to him well. And like Rick said, he's kind of hands-off now, kind of lets these coaches do their things. So I think you're not going to have a Jamal Mosley situation with Rick Carlisle, where it's kind of like this bitter ending. Yep. I, I would be shocked to see that. So that to me is like you're not having a star player like demanding Carlisle be gone and Norad become coach kind of like Luca did there. But um, I think that Lloyd Pierce could be an option as well. Like he probably would make the most sense betting odd wise. But I I agree with you. I could see him being gone. Um, But I just I feel like Norad's got more (sighs) excitement to him than Lloyd Pierce. Definitely. Look, with Lloyd Pierce, you're going through that whole kind of recycled coach where it's like, I mean, he was a coach in Atlanta, you know, didn't really work out that great. Nate McMillan takes the team to the conference finals with the same exact roster. Like, it kind of gives you that feeling of like a recycled coach. But uh, Ronald, I feel like, is, is someone that is is uh, is different. You know, he hasn't had his mm-hmm. shot. He's young. He's learning over here. Like, And the Pacers looked for something of that sort when they made the Bjorken hire, and unfortunately it, it just didn't work out, but I think they would have a lot more familiarity with uh, Ronald Norad uh, compared to uh, you know a guy like Bjorken who's coming from a different uh, organization. Mm, absolutely. Let's keep it moving here. Dalton Chubb said, since it's close to the holidays, what are you most thankful for as a Pacers fan? I'm thankful that they, they did hit the reset button. I mean, like we were – people joked about it for a while. Like, oh, I'd rather bottom out than, than be a playoff team not going anywhere. And I fought it for a long time. I was like, yeah, okay, you say that because you're not in position to be a playoff team. But then we realized what was happening year after year, getting bounced in the first round. And then now, all of a sudden, it's like the trade for Halliburton, drafting Matherin, like, you know, the, the, the picks that we have coming in. 
I'm thankful that they finally realized that and they've raised the ceiling of this team. And it's a really fun young group that can grow together. None of all these guys, they're not going to be free agents for quite a while. And they've already put themselves in a position where when they become free agents, they could be signed. We're not going to be backs against the wall strapped for cash. Yeah, I'll say this. I got five words for you. Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin. That's all I got to say, Dalton. That's pretty simple for me. That's what I'm most thankful for, having a future backcourt that seems this promising, this early into their career. Man, talk about exciting for the future. Um, I heard this on the radio today. I want to get your thoughts on this, Fachi. Somebody said that Benedict Matherin has parts of Paul George, Victor Oladipo, and Lance Stevenson about him. (laughs) You put all three together, and that's what you get in Benedict Matherin. Do you agree with that or no? I can't argue against it. I've never heard it before, but... You know, after a little bit, you know, the late game antics, you know, the other night was was very Lance-like. And I I do think that at times there is an Oladipo vibe to him, but I could definitely see some PG. So I feel like that's kind of an accurate thing. And to be honest, those at the time or their their heights, those were three big fan favorites over (laughs) there. So I I like that comparison. It's it's not bad at all. Um, I don't know if we've seen enough in the clutch to call him Vic. Not yet. Not yet. No, but... At the same time, like, he's got strength like Paul. And mm-hmm. um, getting to the free throw line is a big thing for him. So, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it, and I love seeing how he has that competitive edge to him. Similar to Lance without the antics, right? It's yeah. more like when Lance is just being real competitive and not, like, blowing in someone's ear. Like, you're not going to see Mather and do that. But no. that's just kind of how I feel about it. But anyway, we can move on. All right, so next question we got Joel. He said, hey, guys, I'm heading to Indy for the Heat game Friday night. What is your favorite concession food at the Fieldhouse? So I will say this. I've only been there a few times since I've done the renovations, and I haven't really got a chance to explore all the food out there. Um, I've gravitated to Chick-fil-A both times when I went just because I knew what it was. It was good. It's overpriced for sure. You're going to spend about 25 bucks by yourself for the Chick-fil-A and the arena. So, um, But it is good. You have limited options of what you can get. Um, but, but if you want just like a snack or something, you can never go wrong with Ben's pretzels. Ben's pretzels are where they are at. Um, personally, for me, I like the cinnamon sugar one with the white icing, but even just the generic one with the salt and the cheese is fantastic as well. So they're they're located in two spots now, but there's one right when you walk into the concourse on the left-hand side. I would say if you can get a Ben's pretzel, get a Ben's pretzel. You won't be uh, You won't regret it. I think that's great. I have not been in the field house since they made the renovation. It's actually been quite a few years for me. So I'm going to leave this up to you. Uh, I think that you would know it far better than me. And I'm going to say, hey, you got me craving a Ben's pretzel right now. Hey, they are fantastic. Um, I won't lie. I get one almost every time I go. I, I am very disappointed, though. They used to have a Quaker Steak and Lube in there. And I used to get the wings all the time from, from Quaker Steak and Lube because I love Quaker Steak and Lube uh, wings, bone-in or boneless, whatever one you prefer. Both were great, but that's not in there no more. So uh, I've tried some different things. like at the cold stadium and stuff like that. And sometimes you just get a little bit too uh, out there with their, with their, with their food and it doesn't taste the greatest. So um, if you want to save money <laughs> and don't want to buy anything at the field house, I would say just stop by five guys on Pennsylvania before you come in. Uh, that would make the most sense to me, but. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Let's move on, Fachi. This one comes from Chris Phillips, who said, has anything in the first handful of games changed your opinion of a player's outlook and or the team's outlook? Uh, yeah, I would say this this rebuild's not going to be that long. This ain't going to be like an OKC rebuild where we're talking about it's been quite a few years i feel like the groundwork has been laid and we just need these players to continue to gel together but also uh benedict matherin simply put is better than i think any of us could have expected i when he got drafted the pacers i thought this is a guy that should be able to make a couple all-star teams i think this guy's a future all nba player mm. i i really do also you know a little, maybe like a little constellation prize over here I think Goga could still be an NBA contributing player in this league. I, I think that you know, this year the, he has by no means been unplayable. He's actually a plus 10 last night. And then also Nemhard's better than we thought. I, I feel like in previous years, Nemhard would have been someone that would have been like, I don't know when he's going to see the court at all. Now he's shown some flashes, especially from what I've mentioned before a couple of times, an assist to turnover ratio. It, it, it's been honestly fantastic on the year. Uh, I think he's at like, uh, I want to say like 18 assists to, to three turnovers, something like that. I know it's spread out, but overall it's like, you know, it's a, there, there's been some some good consolation prizes over there, but Matherin definitely is an elite NBA talent. Yeah, I'll say that Tyrese Halliburton is an elite offensive player. Yeah, um, yeah. We knew that he had that potential, but like the efficiency that he's been playing with through the first eight games, like, yeah, he had a dud game against the Nets on Monday, but prior to that, I mean, the guy's, over 50, 40, 90 by a long shot, okay? He's very close right now. I think he's shooting 49% from uh, from the field, 45-ish, 44% from, from three, and then about 95% from the free throw line. So I think, you know, don't put a don't put a limit to what he can become. I, I think we've talked about him being more of like a B-level player, but I, I want to see him kind of continue to grow and maybe become like that A-minus level player, Fachi. Mm-hmm. I think Benedict Matherin, Man, he is way ahead of schedule. Way, way. In terms of what I thought he was going to be. I thought you're going to see some really fun flashes from him throughout the year, but I did not expect it to be this consistent on a on a night-in, night-out basis. So Benedict Matherin, like, I think David brought this up on our my YouTube show last week. We know now that his floor is really high. So, like, even if this is the worst, <laughs> you know, this is or this is the best he ever becomes, he's still a really good player. So, like, that's not going to happen. He's going to continue to get better. He's going to become great, in my opinion, just from what I've seen so far because of the work ethic, the uh, the arrogance. But at the same time, you like the arrogance, the confidence. I just I just feel like he's got that package. Uh, he's, he's a three-level scorer. He, he's mm-hmm. a full package in terms of what you want in the player. And I, uh, I can't say enough great things about him, Fodge. No, I really can't. One of the biggest things that you'll never see in a box score is he's not afraid. That's the thing. He'll take it right at two or three guys and and not just get fouled, but actually make it and go to the free throw line. So right now, this is someone, maybe it's just a number in my head. I think maybe I might have predicted on the show. I thought Matthew would would average like 14 points per game this year for the Pacers. And I thought that'd be awesome. I was mm-hmm. like, hey, it's better than, better than Duarte. He's younger than Duarte. Matherin's averaging 20 and a half points per game right now. Like he's literally efficient. He's shooting 43% from the field. Well, like it, it's just overall, this guy has been everything that you could ask for and far more. And when you talk about building blocks, 
it's crazy how long we can go into an episode, not even mention Tyrese Halliburton because we're so fixated on Benedict Matherin. He's mm-hmm. been that good. And this young backcourt, it, it could be a truly elite backcourt in the NBA for years to come. And when you're a team trying to get out of kind of mediocrity, just being an average playoff team, this is how you do it. Totally agree, Fachi. Let's move on to the next question. All right. We got Big Bro Key said, do, uh, does Matherin have a chance of being the number one option by the end of the season? Yeah, I think there's probably about a 75% chance that he is. Um, he'll eventually start. There's no doubt about that in my mind. I think that Halliburton understands that Matherin can do things that he can't do, but the same goes for Matherin knowing Halliburton does things he can't do. So I just think Halliburton is more of a facilitator that can be aggressive looking for a shot where Matherin is constantly looking for a shot. And he's got that dog mentality where he's like, I'm the guy. And I think people are kind of going to, they're going to gravitate towards that. We saw that in the Pistons game a couple of weeks ago when, when Matherin was kind of taking over talking trash, we started seeing Halliburton kind of follow suit with, with Matherin there. It was Matherin though, that was kind of leading the team by what he was doing by talking that trash and setting that competitive edge. So to me, yes, I, I think that we can see Matherin be the number one by the end of the season. Yeah, I would say, you know, number one scoring option, yes. Best player this year, I think that's going to be Tyrese Halliburton. I, I just think being a point guard, having the ball in your hands that much, the way that he not only is getting, you know, like 23 points per game, but also dishing out roughly 10 assists, I just feel like that has him as kind of our number one guy. But you're talking about a number one scoring option. Yeah, yeah I, I do think that Matherin has that capability. That's a crazy thing to say in year one as a rookie. Not many guys can do that. And and the guys that tend to do that tend to be on really bad teams. And we'll see what happens with this Pacers team. But for right now, I mean, hey, they're, they're three and five. They were just three and four. It might not stick for a while. But Benedict Matherin's talent is going to stick, and he's only getting better. I mean, think about it. He's been—he's only played a handful of road games so far. Like, mm. just, just wait until he's really settled in and has chemistry with this unit. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this. I think Halliburton's still the face of the franchise yeah. all season long. I just think when you talk about the number one option, that to me is where I could see Matherin kind of being that guy, um, running a lot of stuff through him. But, you know, that that's just me. Maybe I'm a little bit projecting too much for what for what uh Matherin will be this year but um I feel like I feel like there's a good chance Fachi but let's move on Tyler Christian said it was great to see Duarte finally have a breakout game against Nets but is it more realistic to think he won't hit a true stride in his game until Buddy Hield is traded I'd say so I mean think about this I crunched numbers Buddy's getting roughly 14 shots a night on it's 29.9 minutes let's call it 30 30 minutes per game, 14 shots. Duarte is getting 8.6 shots per night on 21 and a half minutes. I feel like this all doesn't factor in just Matherin, Halliburton. They need to get theirs. Matherin's minutes have been a bit inconsistent. So I think Duarte consistently needs about 10 shots a night. I mean, look what he did with 15 against Mm -hmm. the Nets. But he drops 30 on 15 shots. But there's other games, you know, where the previous Brooklyn game, he had eight shots. Three yeah. against Washington, an opener. Six versus the Spurs. Three another night against Washington. Like, what can Duarte? If Duarte only has three shots, it's really hard for him to like really make an imprint on the game because he's a good defender. But it's not like he's like this absolute lockdown defender that's known for defenses. 
hey, he's he's a he's a three and D guy. You know, he, he's a good a good shooter that can play defense as well. So I do think it's important to be able to get him roughly ten shots a night. That's a good question. Um, man, you know, I'm I'm trying to think if like Buddy Hill's really holding him back. I don't necessarily think that he is because no. he just played bad. I mean, Rick Carlisle can say he's played good all season, but then why did you bench him? in the second half against the Spurs, and why did you take him out of the starting lineup and put Neesmith in there? Obviously, he's not been playing great, okay? They put him off the bench trying to give him a more of a solidified role, I think, but at the same time, you've got Benedict Mathern out there who's going to be aggressively looking for his shot. So I, I think with Duarte, he's just going to have to, like, pick his spots no matter when he uh, – no matter if Buddy's on the team or not. And last night, they did a good job of that. You know, Buddy was not really hot early on, and – Duarte was, and so they kept running the offense for Duarte. But, you know, for the most part, I feel like Duarte's uh, – he's kind of inconsistent, Fachi, I would say, so far in his he career. Is. And that's one of those things where you just can't really rely on him being a consistent, you know, 15, 20-point not a, not a type of guy. So, like, he's not going to get 15 points per game, uh, in my opinion, every single night. He's going to have spurts where he has 30 and – you know, kind of like Karis LeVert. Guy scores 41 points, and the next night scores one point, right? I'm uh, not saying Duarte is going to be that drastic, but he's going to have, like, this thing where his averages might look better than what they are because when he gets hot, he gets going. That's really fun. But so many times, like, he doesn't really, like, throughout the season, we were going to talk about Duarte uh, Sunday a little bit, but we're like, let's hold off. And then he has this really great game. So we weren't able to kind of, like, nitpick the, the negative things he was doing. But it just felt like he was super uncomfortable and, and didn't really know what his role was. So – I think as he kind of figures out his role, he's going to realize, like, okay, I got to pick my spots when I can score, when I can't score, and sometimes be a little aggressive looking for your shot, but also at the same time, take good looks and don't force things. It's really true. The minutes are also so inconsistent. I mean, it's just like we're talking about 12 minutes versus Washington uh, a week ago, 23 against Brooklyn. Then he goes for 38 minutes. It's like I get it. He rode with the hot hand. He was on fire, but, like, Man, also to start the season, you're right. He was struggling. Let's, let's look at this. Six of 23 from the field in the first three games. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, more turnovers than than rebounds. Like, it, it's just he wasn't – he's not like a, a really good rebounder or a guy who maybe last year was being more of a playmaker. He's not doing that this year. So, if he's not scoring, it's hard for him to have a full-on imprint on the game in, say, 15 minutes. So overall, I, I think consistency has has plagued him. He's, he's been inconsistent. So hopefully, when the time comes for Buddy, you know, to to be traded when that when that happens, I hope that the exp expanded rule for Duarte pays off. But it's not a direct thing of Buddy being there is killing Duarte's production. Duarte has not seized the moments that he's had up until that Brooklyn game last night. No, I totally agree with that, Pachi. So let's move on to our next question. All right, so coming up next, we have Garrett Braggs. He said, um, outside of Miles and Buddy, who are your top three candidates to not be on the roster after the trade deadline? All right, let's do it together. Daniel Tice, O'Shea Brissett, Gogo Batadze. Here's the thing. I love to say Tice. I don't know who's taking him. I really don't, and especially if he ain't playing, who's in a rush to make a move for him? Somebody so, will. So, I think somebody will because they'll get an injury. Yeah, look, I, I hope it's Tice. It was hard for me to put him in there, but I, I here's what I think. I think Goga's definitely in there. I think O'Shea Brissett is in there. 
And uh, it, it's sad, but look, O'Shea ain't playing for us. And if he ain't, if the Pacers don't feel like they're going to re-sign him, they could easily look to flip him for a pick. Now, next, I bring this up. Look, the Pacers, they love him. He's not playing well. Doesn't fit this high-powered offense. Do you think T.J. McConnell could be moved? I think there's a possibility. I think um, there is. I've heard some rumblings that, you know, Nimhard is really like the front office is really intrigued by him. So that's why McConnell's minutes have shrunk. But at the same time, Nimhard's minutes have been really inconsistent as well. So I think that there's a chance he's moved, but it's going to be up to TJ if he wants to stay or if he wants to go. Because if he wants to be here and he wants to take on a, a different role, then I think they'd like to have him around to have that veteran. But if he wants to continue playing and have more of a, a, a role on another team, then I could see them potentially moving him. Here's the thing. McConnell, after this year, $8 million guaranteed. Then the following year, his contract is not guaranteed. Mm-hmm. It's, it's nine point, uh, So it's $9.3 million in 2024, 2025. Only about $5 million of that's guaranteed. So it's not like someone's taken on a large amount. But I do think that McConnell could finish the year as a pacer and then be traded in the offseason. He'll be turning 31 later in the year. So I feel like at this point, McConnell is probably not getting uh, another real good contract in the league, anything that's paying him what he's making now. So mm-hmm. I don't know how in love he would be just kind of not playing that much at all. But um, I, I do think that the Pacers would work with him to find him the right suitor if they're going to make a move. But for right now, I don't think teams are lining up for TJ McConnell. Um, but it also remains to be seen. I saw McConnell shoot a three-pointer last night. I think it might have been his first of the year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's not a surprise it didn't go in. But I, I, I was at least on that man. Dude, I was happy to be there for his first three of the season. Would have been a lot cooler if it went in. But think about this. We talked about it. The Pacers, are, they came into that Brooklyn game with the most threes made on the year. They're averaging 43s a game. you got a guy who's attempted one three on the year. Yeah. He doesn't fit the style. No, no, he I doesn't. agree. So it, it, it's just tough. Great, great guy. Awesome veteran. You need veterans uh, on this team. And I, I guarantee you, uh, Hal Burton's talked about how McConnell's helped him out. I guarantee Nemhard's probably saying the same thing. But – I do think if the right opportunity presents itself, it's a big way to open up consistent minutes for Nemhard on a nightly basis. All right, let's move on. This one comes from David Cole. He said, how would the team be different if we traded for De'Aaron Fox on a draft pick instead of Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald? And then he said, assume we throw in Brogdon or someone else with Sabonis. Uh, I would say that the Pacers, you know, just don't have as high, high powered of an offense because Halliburton's really the engine that gets everybody going when De'Aaron Fox is far more of a scorer. So I think it's hard to imagine, like, obviously, Buddy is playing really well. I think part of that is, you know, hey, you got Tyrese Halliburton getting you some really good looks. But overall, we just talked about, hey, the Pacers, you know, previously leading the NBA in threes made and total assists. Uh, I think the offense looks totally different, and the Pacers are probably just kind of more of a sluggish team where Fox is getting his numbers, but – Everyone else really kind of isn't getting theirs. Let me ask you this. I mean, what do you got? Do you think there's any chance that the Kings would have sent us Fox plus their draft pick last year, which ended up being Keegan Murray for Sabonis? Uh, what do you and, got? Um, potentially, like just a throw in. I'll, I'll throw in like Justin Holiday 
or or even Jeremy Lamb. He was in that deal as well. But we also took on what the Kings considered bad money and Thompson yeah. and Buddy Heel to get Tyree. So because they were ready to move off of Buddy and, and Tristan Thompson. So basically it was like Sabonis for um for Tyrese with you know us giving them a second round pick that they'll get this season. Mm-hmm. But with us taking on the heavy contract of De'Aaron Fox, giving them an expiring in in, in Lamb, do you think they would have parted ways with that first round pick from last year? I, I don't think that pick. I think they could have given given us a future pick, but okay. like they were already I mean they weren't like dead in the water. I feel like at the time they had a shot at the, at the playing game. Yeah. Uh, things ended up going down pretty south. I remember the Kings went like 2-0. They were talking a big game, like, whoa! And then all of a sudden, everything went downhill. Um, but uh, that would have been an unbelievable steal the Pacers could have ended up getting what would have been the fourth overall pick. <laughs> you get a really good player like De'Aaron Fox, but honestly, I'm really happy how things worked out. Halliburton hasn't been paid yet. Fits the timeline a, a little bit better in terms of, you know, Hey, we'll sign him to a big deal this offseason, but also I just feel like he's getting everybody else involved where I feel like Fox just would not have accomplished that. Yeah, I feel like based on what we heard, I feel like the Pacers probably would have taken Keegan Murray at four. Yeah, very well could have. And Matherin at six. Some people probably would say, well, if they had the fourth pick, they would have taken Jaden Ivey. Um, I don't know if they would want Jaden Ivey and De'Aaron Fox together. Uh, Yeah, I don't know about that. So that's why I think you get Keegan Murray – you get Matherin, and you get De'Aaron Fox. That's a pretty exciting team, but at the same time, you don't like the fact that Fox is make, making so much money. And personally for me, like Fox probably is better right now overall than Halliburton. He's having a real good year. He's, he's doing well. He went out last night against the Hornets, and mm-hmm. Davion Mitchell was unreal in that game. So so maybe maybe it's just like inflated numbers on a, on a decent team. I don't know, but... I would just say this. I would much rather have Halliburton and Matherin than Murray, Matherin, and Fox. No doubt. I I just feel like right now, Tyrese Halliburton, like just what he's done, like investing in the community, like the way he carries himself, I, it just feels like he's just the, the guy that you want as your franchise guy. So I'm really excited about him. And it would have been rough having Fox making the money that he's making when the Pacers – are nowhere even close to competing. And I know Halliburton will get paid, but the way that his contract is going to be while the Pacers are rebuilding, just it, it's just a perfect way to fit the timeline of what we're doing going into this offseason with, you know, mega cap space and, and just unlimited flexibility. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it, Pachi. Let's, let's move on to our last question here. Uh, I think you got this one. All right, last question. We got Kumba31. Why is Carlisle giving James Johnson so many minutes? Um, you want to answer that one first, real quick? Yeah, what do you got? Well, I think he said it after the Bulls game, if I'm not mistaken, that we need our veterans to help us right now. So he openly told you that they're going to be playing veterans over everybody, young guy, all of the young guys. And he said, right now, he said everybody wants the young guys to play, they don't want the old guys or the veterans to play. But that's not how we're going to do it. We need our veterans to help us. And I think last night was a perfect example why people are screaming on Twitter, why is James Johnson or James Johnson in this game and and, and not O'Shea Brissett or Terry Taylor? It's like, look, the guy was a plus 14 last night. He was clearly impacting the game. And, you know, Carlisle had great things to say about him in the press conference. So I get it. He is a tough player. And, um, uh, he just brings toughness and an edge to this team that we need. 
He's selfless. He's been a vet for a long time, and he's going to do the right things to get these guys that need that development in the right spot. Whereas if you have a guy like O'Shea out there, he's playing for another contract. And so there's times where he might be a little bit selfish looking for a shot. Not saying he has been, but you have to worry about that. And overall, let's just be honest, James Johnson is a better defender than O'Shea Brissett. Yeah, look, and it's not – I mean, these guys aren't even really pay, playing like the same position. I know you could play O'Shea down at the four a bit and stuff like that. But uh, overall, James Johnson played well. I mean, here's the thing. I know we're saying, why is he getting so many minutes? The the the, the bulk of the minutes were in the last two games against the Brooklyn Nets, a team that he was familiar with, even though you, you mentioned earlier. But also, let's, let's factor this in. Turner really struggled last night. So did Jalen Smith. Those guys were getting bullied around. Like, it, Kevin Durant was – I mean, look, Kevin Durant can cook anybody. But it was also Nicholas Claxton was just getting wide open looks in the paint last night. And I feel like James Johnson was part of a big comeback for the Pacers. Now, the one knock that I had, James Johnson was taking huge three-pointers last night when it really mattered. This is the guy I looked at the numbers – this dude hasn't shot above 27% from three in like four years. Oh, my God. So he goes over two from three last night, of course. And these are like fourth quarter three-point attempts with like two minutes to go. So I disagree with the shots, but his defense, he was playing really hard. And, and like you said, Pacers do need veterans on the court, not just in the locker room. So it's not going to be like James Johnson's playing 18 minutes every night. I think there's going to be stretches where we don't see him for a while, just like, for instance, he's only logged minutes in three of the eight games so far. So I think it'll be things like that where, you know, hey, we'll get back to, you know, Turner's going to play more than 20 minutes. Uh, I think Terry Taylor at, at times will get a handful of minutes. Gogo will get a handful of minutes. So it was interesting lately, but he was also part of a big run, a big comeback last night. For sure. And the last question here from Kuma31, I'll just read it real quick. He said, do you think the younger players would help us win more or lose more, Fachi? Uh, I, I'd probably say lose more. I mean, I, I think Hands if you're down. playing – Yeah, like, look, if you're playing Nemhard 30 minutes, he's, he's going to get a little bit exposed at times. It's 30 minutes nightly. If it's, you know, it's the same thing ac across the board. Like, you play Goga for 30 minutes, I mean, look what happened. Goga was part of, you know – when Goga was playing 30 minutes, we lost 10 straight games last year. So – I just feel like these are guys that they're young, they're promising, but they're not necessarily the recipe for winning. So a guy like who's a, more of a veteran of, um, you know, a James Johnson, probably going to be a little bit tougher, more in the right spot where he needs to be, you know, in, in a game compared to someone who's still learning on the fly. Uh, so overall, yeah, I, I'd say you play the young guys if you want to tank. You play the, the the veterans if you're looking to stay more competitive. Yeah, this is pretty simple to me. Like, we're a really young team. And there's times when we saw this young team kind of look rattled last year, kind of frustrated with how they were playing, right? Like, we know they had a really good offense, but their defense was so bad. But it was nice. Like you had a you had a TJ McConnell, you had a Buddy Heald, you have a Miles Turner now that can step up and, and just make a big play when it's needed, and that's good for the growth of your team because if you lose so many games, you're you're establishing a bad culture. And I understand a lot of people have said that to us, like you don't want to tank. Tanking is a terrible thing to do, and I understand that mindset because you never want to instill that type of mentality. But I don't think Benedict Matherin's wired that way. I don't think Tyrese Halliburton's wired that way. 
these guys want to come out here and compete their tails off. So I think the young guys, if you threw them all out there, you would probably see maybe some more upside in terms of like big wins every once in a while. But you're going to see a lot more losses because they just get a little bit rattled, especially in like road environments, hostile environments where the veterans that have been there can kind of keep them calm, let them know, hey, we're in this together. Just take it one play at a time and we'll chip away at the lead. And that's what they did in Brooklyn last night. It was because of veteran play of a guy like Buddy, a guy like um, James Johnson, T.J. McConnell even at times last night was that calming veteran presence that would just get everybody orchestrated instead of it just being all the young guys out there just trying to get their own points. Yeah, and it's just an unrelated note. What I like about this team is I honestly feel like everyone can play. Like, I know, you know, Daniel you know, Daniel Tice has been kind of like the butt of some jokes and everything like that, but he's been a good NBA rotational player in the past. And you look at this, it's not like last year with like a Brad Wanamaker or like a Keeper Sykes or previous years with like a Brian Bowen where you're like, what is this guy doing out there? I feel like everybody can play. It's just a matter of like not playing some of the inexperienced guys so much but giving them experience overall. So I, I think that right now, yeah, you, you kind of know a little bit more what you're getting on a nightly basis from a James Johnson compared to perhaps like a Terry Taylor where it could be a little bit inconsistent. Yeah, for sure. So that's going to do it for the mailbag. If you sent questions after about, you know, 145, I apologize. We, we did a cutoff there so we can make sure we got all these answered. Hit us up if we didn't get to your question and you'd like us to answer one. Maybe we can do a separate uh, part two mailbag on one of our next episodes. Just answer a few questions we didn't get to. But with that being said, Fachi, let the people know where they can find us out on social media. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F A C C I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at setting the pace. You can find us on TikTok at setting the pace. And Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. All right, youtube.com slash setting the pace of Pacers podcast. Fachi, that's the place to go. If not, go to Google, right? That's the other place to go to find all of our stuff. And I just want to ask you this, Fachi. I don't know if you saw this or not. I'm trying to pull it up here real quick. Um, The Pacers lead the NBA in most fourth quarter points by any team this season with 244. Wow. That's that's definitely (laughs) awesome to see. What are we last in first quarter points? Uh, I would our, guarantee it. <laughs> it could be last in first quarter points or most first quarter points given up. Either way, uh, this team's been a second half team, which has made games fun. But oof, the, the start to some of these games is just it's pretty ugly. Uh-huh. No, I get it, Fachi. So, you know, you're over there. You're uh, mourning the loss of Bradley Chubb being traded. <laughs> Colts fans are mourning the loss of Nine Hyde being man. traded. So uh, we got Pacers basketball, though, uh, on Friday night against Miami Heat. But we will be back later this week for another podcast before that game. So if you're excited, Fachi, to watch the Pacers back in action on Friday night, say these three words. Let's go Pacers! Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a-